Hello, I'm your host, Susan Booning, and I'm here today with Dr. Max Wisnitzer. Good afternoon, Max. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh, I am a child neurologist at Rainbow Babies and Children's Hospital with training both in pediatrics, child neurology, and developmental pediatrics. I've had a long-standing interest in neurodevelopmental disabilities, including ADHD. Uh, I work with Chad, uh, being a member of the board of directors and also the co-chairman of the Professional Advisory Board. Thank you so much for joining us today. Can you tell us a little bit about the recommended evidence-based treatments for children with ADHD when it occurs alone? When ADHD occurs by itself, the intervention that is needed is actually multi-factored. You need to have interventions that address behavior and education and in multiple environments. That means that you have to have a treatment plan that will from a behavior standpoint, provides structure, routine, and consistency in the environment. In terms of children learning daily activities, behaviors, and self-help skills, as well as educational progress in school. However, while behavioral strategies can help the individuals learn how to behave, they first need to focus and reduce their impulsivity so that they can get there. And the evidence-based and most proven intervention for this is the use of medication in order to improve attention span and reduce activity level. What are some of the conditions that often coexist with ADHD? Which conditions should be treated first? Well, there, there are several conditions that are frequently present with ADHD, and we can go through a list. Uh, about a third of the individuals will have coexisting anxiety disorder, and it's important to determine at the time of an evaluation whether it's the anxiety or whether it's the ADHD that's interfering with day-to-day -day functioning. However, other problems can also be present. About 10% of the population will develop tics, which are habit movements or habit noises that individuals make and can wax and wane. Other things that the children can have uh, include underlying learning challenges, especially with reading. Uh, they can have problems with language development, what we call speech delay or developmental language disorder. And one that is frequently overlooked but quite prominent in this population, occurring in up to 50%, is they can have problems with their fine and gross motor skills, which really means how coordinated they are for fine and gross motor activities, such as running and manipulation of objects. When the individuals get older, there are risk factors that can be present, especially if you do not intervene for the ADHD. Uh, these are things such as developing a mood disorder, uh, such as depression, and an increased risk of impulsive actions and impulsive behaviors that would lead to increased accidents if you're driving, uh, use of alcohol or illegal substances, and basically getting into trouble with the authorities. Now, let's talk about younger children. What are the behavioral interventions that are recommended for preschoolers? The interventions that are recommended are interventions that help them develop good habit behaviors. We know that punishment and negative reinforcement, in other words, taking things away or punishing them for their actions that are related to ADHD are not effective. And, and the reason is that these children are impulsive. They act before they think. If we 
punish them or take something away, they'll still do the same action the next time because they've got, they do not have a different script or a different behavior pattern to substitute. So the goal is to reinforce the behavior we want them to do, which is a positive reinforcement mechanism. And by doing that, they will develop good habit behaviors that will replace the one previously present and should lead to better behavior overall. At the bottom line, a reward system that encourages appropriate behaviors with the use of timeout or punishment more as a strategy to basically let everyone cool down so that you can put into place the appropriate interventions. Can you discuss the behavioral interventions that parents can use at home for students who are grade school age, elementary school, and also a little bit about teenagers? The way to think about these interventions that we use for individuals of that age is to say to yourself, what are the core features of ADHD? The core features of ADHD are inattention, which means a short attention span, impulsivity, and motor overactivity. In the inattention category, the individuals have, as I stated before, a short attention span. They're not well organized. They have problems basically starting or completing tasks. And they can get easily distracted by things going on around them. The impulsivity means that they can act before they think. So again, they can get distracted or they can react in a negative manner if they don't want to do what's going on. And the motor overactivity means that they have problems sitting quietly or they have problems keeping their hands still or problems not talking. Once you recognize what these factors are, you can then recognize what the interventions are that can be effective. We have to help these individuals basically develop good organizational skills, which means we need to teach them the good habits of how to do things. The way you do it is to take the work, especially the schoolwork that they're doing, and breaking it down into smaller units that do not look overwhelming to them because they would try to avoid things that they perceive as being overwhelming. Small units of work that are linked to the time that their attention span is, and then giving them a little respite or break in between before you move into the next one, but also helping them organize themselves so everything's in the place it should be. They've gotten into the routine. I take my workout. I put it in front of me. I put it back in my folder. I turn it in the next day. And there's a variety of strategies that can help in that manner in terms of the specific lessons that have to be learned. Using reward mechanisms in place for the appropriate behaviors can be very powerful. We just have to find the right incentive because many times for these individuals, the incentive has to be a little bit higher in terms of their settings for rewards have to be at the point where it's something that really is of interest to them, not necessarily monetary-wise, but something that really catches their attention and that they really want. It could be something as simple as playtime, uh, extra playtime, extra electronics time, um, a, a beverage, a drink, uh, earning tokens to get some sort of reward later on. There's lots of different strategies that can be used, but all of them should basically address and understand the core fundamental deficits and problems in the ADHD population and then work with them in order to improve their functioning. What interventions are available at school to help students who have ADHD to succeed? In school, the first intervention is to have a well-educated staff. That means the teacher, any aides in the classroom, the other school personnel, 
as well as the bus drivers, the people who work in the lunchroom, have to understand what ADHD is and then recognize when the child has behaviors related to the ADHD versus behaviors related to just being a child. If When they recognize that they're ADHD behaviors, they can then put interventions in place. And again, in school, structure, routine, and consistency can be very helpful. A daily routine that we know what's going on. The lesson plan is set up in advance so they know what's coming. Teaching that is done using a multimodal approach, which means an approach that's not just talking, blah, 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 blah. Because if one of the things that these children have is short attention spans. If you talk, literally the words might go in one ear and out the other. But if you also use visual prompts while we're talking, it's easier for them to retain the information. We take a pace that's working at the one that's appropriate for these individuals. And again, we break the lessons and work down to units that we know that the individuals can adequately function. As an example, for the younger children who can only sit for 30 minutes before they have to get up, maybe walk around. Let's return to treatment of ADHD with medication. What are the recommended medications and how effective are they? The medications that are recommended for ADHD basically fall into three major categories. Number one is the stimulant medications. People would know them by their brand names. Adderall, Ritalin are the two most popular ones and well-known ones. The generic names are the amphetamines and methylphenidate products. Number two is the alpha-adrenergic agonists. Big words, but basically it's clonidine and guanfacine. They have a different mechanism of action. And number three is uh, a variety of other medications that basically fall almost like into the antidepressant fa uh, family, but it's not, they don't work because of depression standpoint, but they work because of specific mechanisms of action. In this case, it'd be drugs that people might know like itamoxetine or stratera, and some much older ones that fall into what's called a tricyclic antidepressant family. If we compare these three groups of medications for ADHD, the stimulant medications by far are the most powerful and the most effective ones that uh, help the individuals focus and pay attention. How good are these? Basically, we can see that if the individuals are on the medication, you can see school performance go from failing to above average if the individuals are capable of hitting that. But they clearly can make a major difference. When the medication is working, the uh, parents report over and over and over again the improvements that they see in their children's functioning. The medication improves attention span, reduces impulsivity, reduces overactivity, helps them learn the habits that they need to learn, and therefore they become, become uh, more effective, more efficient, and develop a popular attitude in the school setting. The medicines in the stimulant family that are known would include brand names such as Adderall and Vyvanse, Concerta, Ritalin, Metadate CD, plus a whole slew of newer ones, and they come in a variety of formulations. There are liquid formulations, there are pill formulations, there are melt tab formulations, there are patches, there are short-acting medicines, there are long-acting medicines, with the decision to which one should, should be used to be made by the family and by the physician as a team. In other words, what will work best for the child? 
Some children don't do well on the stimulants. Some children need additional medication in addition to the stimulant. And when that happens, you can, you can use drugs such as clonidine and guanfacine that, again, can be short-acting or long-acting, can have a positive effect on the tension span, but also can reduce impulsivity, lead to more calming of the individual, and atomoxetine or stratera that can improve attention span, reduce impulsivity, and reduce motor overactivity. The choice has to be made in concert with the physician as to which ones would work best for that individual. To give an example, if I've got a child who needs to pay attention from 9 a.m. in the morning till 5 p.m. in the afternoon, I may put them on a long-acting formulation. If I've got a college student who basically just has a few classes per day and can otherwise function well, I may put them on a short-acting medication for those days. Everything has to be tailored and individualized in order to maximize functioning. What are the side effects of these medications? The, when, for the stimulant medications, there are basically several categories of side effects. Most side effects are transient in nature, Tran, they're transient, which means that they're there for a short time and then they, they fade away. If you take the medicines on an empty stomach, especially if, especially if you take the medicines on an empty stomach, you may get headache and upset stomach. That tends to fade away in the majority of individuals if when you're on a schedule regularly taking the medication. Medicine can decrease appetite. Hypothetically, it might interfere with sleep. The medication make the individual more irritable, may aggravate underlying anxiety. And if that happens, we also can see an increase in tick activity if it's present. Those are things just to watch for uh, in that regard. Most individuals do quite well. There are concerns that if you're on it for a long time, that it might affect blood pressure, so blood pressure should be monitored. But that's very rare uh, as, as, as a problem. For the most part, the stimulant medications are usually well tolerated when used appropriately. When it comes to clonidine and guanfacine, the, the two main side effects are tiredness and sometimes irritability. Clinically, we have observed that with guanfacine, you can also have an increase in appetite. Something to watch while with the stimulants, you may have a decrease in appetite that tends to be transient in the majority of individuals. With guanfacine, it may be increased. Atomoxetine or stratera, you can also have tiredness. They can have irritability. Uh, and you can have a decreased appetite as the common complaints, uh, if they occur, that will be heard. There are some extremely rare complaints, such as liver problems with the atomoxetine, that are extremely uncommon but can be monitored for. Can all of these ADHD medications be used over the long term? Yes, there have been good studies that have been done. Initially, people thought that the medication, perhaps in the long term, may not make a difference. There are data telling us that the use in the long term of stimulant medications may not really alter the natural history. But if we look at other studies where they've been more diligent and making sure the individuals are taking their doses at the doses they're supposed to take, we maximize our therapy, we put educational interventions in place. In other words, it's an optimal environment for addressing the ADHD, and we're not just leaving it to routine care. We see an improvement in educational programming. We see an improvement in school. We see a greater graduation rate. We see better mood. We see less um, risk-taking behaviors, for instance, with when they're on the medications. There's less access. And as far as we know, and the data that we have today tells us that long-term use of this medication has no major negative effect on the body, except there are concerns that for some individuals, 
there may be a very mild effect on overall growth. So you may be a, a little bit shorter than you were expected to be, but that's in a minority of the individuals. The majority tend to show a catch-up, uh, even though growth may be slowed at one time. But when studies have been done over a longer period of time, we see an improvement. And as far as we know, it has no negative effect on on underlying anxiety or mood or your temperament or your personality uh, if it's not something that you saw from the very beginning. So basically, these medications, which have been around for generations, the methylphenidate, which is Ritalin, has been around since the 1950s, and amphetamine products even before that time, they had uh, a lot of use, a lot of exposure, and no significant negative long-term consequences as long as appropriate monitoring is done. For instance, monitoring of blood pressure, monitoring of heart rate, uh, monitoring of weight, monitoring of height. What about complementary and alternative treatments? Are there some that have more evidence than others? When we're looking at complementary and alternative treatments, there are really none that have great evidence in order to support them. There are some that are used to treat some of the associated problems with ADHD. For instance, melatonin, which is the hormone the body makes to help regulate the sleep-wake cycle, has been shown to be helpful for helping children with ADHD fall asleep at night because frequently these children can have problems falling asleep because of their ADHD, not necessarily related to their medication, but because of their ADHD. But most other complementary and alternative treatments have very limited, if any, evidence to support them. Uh, people talk about using neurofeedback, and if neurofeedback is helpful, it has a very minor or mild positive effect compared to the uh, traditional therapies that we have. Interestingly, there are some newer options that have just hit the market. There are some video game-based uh, strategies that have just been approved by the Food and Drug Administration that may prove helpful in terms of improving attention span and reducing impulsivity. Uh, we'll wait for the long-term data. We have short-term data that suggests that there can be a positive effect in certain areas of functioning, and then the long-term data is still being accumulated. Is there anything else that you'd like to tell our parents and caregivers that they should know that I haven't asked you? Yes. I think the the most important thing and what I tell parents on a regular basis is that they need to become informed consumers about ADHD. That means that they should access reliable and easily readable uh, information about ADHD, not just going to a webpage that says we have information about ADHD, but it's a place that we know has credibility, such as the National Resource Center on ADHD at help number four ADHD.org, which is funded by the Centers for Disease Control and therefore not by drug company money, uh, and provides a lot of extremely useful information for parents. There's a lot of good books regarding ADHD out on the market uh, that have been written for parents, and parents should read them because once they understand what ADHD is, once they've access, for instance, information from Chad uh, with the parent-to-parent -parent training and, and they are comfortable with the diagnosis and with the types of interventions that are available, then they can become team players with the other individuals who are working with their child in order to uh, help the individual grow, develop, and maximize uh, their potential. Uh, so, if I was going to give any advice of any kind, I would just say become an informed consumer from reliable sources of information. That's the key and most important message. Thank you so much, Max. 
It's my pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of All Things ADHD. Stay up to date on the latest ADHD information by connecting to Chad's social media page at chad.org social. 